IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review the latest album from Death Heaven. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Are you feeling about 6.0 today? <laughs> you know, I, I, I've realized that there's some days where I'm like only capable of like uh, communicating in memes. Like this is how the internet's broken my brain. And I don't think anyone within my social circle will be able to like understand that. I, I'm, I'm just thinking of the Grand Theft Auto. Oh shit, here we go again meme where the guy's like walking down the alley and look man i've been listening to these lord singles i'm living in the light steve is trying to draw me into the darkness here and so it's just it's just not gonna work this week you know like i've listened to solar power i've listened to mood ring and sunlight of the spirit man we we don't need to talk about that (laughs) review uh too closely are we even going to reference it directly or are we just going to subtweet it i guess maybe we'll oh come on it's the indie it's uh, it's the indie cast way to just kind of like vaguely subtweet it let's subtweet it i think it's funnier if we just subtweet it but i just want to say because i I tweeted about that we're recording this actually one day earlier than we normally record. We we normally record on a Thursday. We're recording this week on a Wednesday. Uh, so the review that we're talking about just came out. And I tweeted this morning about how I, I feel like the new Mendoza line for Pitchfork reviews is, is a 6.5 because that's what uh, the Peppa Pig album recently Okay, got. can you explain, like... I just want to make sure people know what the Mendoza line is. And we're not talking, because like... There's the band the I Mendoza line. Yeah, I know. I was about to say, there's probably like a small element of our audience who like thinks of that turn of the, turn of the century, like kind of tweet indie pop band. I mean, I believe so, the way it's defined, it's a baseball term and it means that it there is. was a player named Mendoza. I don't remember his first yes. name, but it, it was basically like if you... <laughs> I think it's Mario Mendoza. If you bet below his batting average, you're not in the majors. And if you bat above it, then you are in the majors. I think that was yes. the distinguishing thing. So uh, I think it's the Peppa Pig record uh, is the new Mendoza line because <laughs> if you're a, if you're like the, an aspiring indie phenom and uh, you, you're waiting for your record to get reviewed on Pitchfork, it's like, am I gonna get below the the Peppa Pig record or above the Peppa Pig record? <laughs> now uh, the record that we're that, that we're subtweeting the review, the the Foxing record that you love so much. That is below the Peppa Pig line. We'll call it the Peppa Perimeter. Uh, Daddy's Home, the St. Vincent record, barely squeaked over. That got a 6.7. Uh, the mm-hmm. the Killers record that we talked about last week, Pressure Machine, uh, that uh, we both like a lot. Yeah, that, Sam Ryder, by the way. That barely squeaked over. 6.6. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like yeah, if you're an indie band, you're like, I, I, I feel like the Peppa Pig perimeter is going to be how you define your worth from from here on out. Hey, you know what? Like, I, I'm 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 excited to see it. Do you think Lord is going to uh, be below or above the Peppa Pig perimeter? Because. Uh, <laughs> Because her record comes out, it's going to come out the day that this episode posts. We don't have a promo of it, so we can't talk about it this week. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, the singles have not been promising, though. Oh, no. We could totally talk about, like, we could totally talk about this album because, I mean, regardless of, like, where the singles hit you, it's like, I love this album rollout. Like, I didn't think Lord could make like a bad move PR wise or narrative wise. And like, here we are with, I can't think of an album at this level with this level of like hype or this level of, uh, you know, this, this level of visibility where people are like actually willing to entertain the possibility that it's bad as a bit. I mean, do you realize what this opens up? Do people up really for believe bands? that? I, I I saw uh, Sam Donsky, who you and I both follow on Twitter, very funny guy, used to yeah. write for the Ringer. He he tweeted that out, and I assumed that he was joking. But are people? I've seen other people say it though. Are, it's like, oh, it's satire. 
So like it's like a white lotus situation that she's satirizing yeah. like spa culture with these uh, with these songs. I mean, I made a joke this week that this strikes me as like a millennial Jimmy Buffett type record because she's like at the beach, she's at like the nail salon, she's at this like weird new age spa. You know, I, I'm wondering if like Jack Antonoff put some steel drums on like the, oh, oh, on the whoa, deep whoa, whoa. cuts. You know, hold on, like you. Let's. I, I know that this past week, uh, Lord was very adamant about trying to separate like herself from Jack Antonoff. Well, I'm just saying, as so. the producer, maybe I'm saying that she <laughs> yeah. would have directed him to put the steel drums on. I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm not uh, questioning Lord's artistic agency when it comes to putting steel drums on the deep cuts on her uh, next record. Uh, yeah, if they're on there, I, I know that they'll be her call, but. Um, I don't know, this might be too strong of a word, and again, we haven't heard the whole album yet, so I don't want to judge the whole album. You know, we we were speculating about the Billie Eilish record, for instance, and that ended up, I think, being better than we expected, but um, these singles, there's something kind of repellent about them to me. It's, it, it's almost like she's writing royals without the irony at this point. Mm. It seems very, like, coddled, rich person, let's go have a spa day, let's have a vacation type music and i mean i mean it feels like that lyrically and also the music is very mellow and like strummy and nondescript um i don't know it's 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 not a promising introduction to the record yeah but i i I just think it like i mean think of like what oh this is bad as a bit like gives the potential for like let's suppose that when we eventually do like the war on drugs episode and like let's just entertain the possibility that we're just not feeling it that day that we just not possible like, none of us gets not on the none of us get sleep but and we're just I'm, like i'm already calling out this hypothetical this this will never happen the war on drugs <laughs> episode is going to be a banger i but <laughs> yes you're i i see your point if we do a bad episode we're we're just we're just a satire of two 40 something guys <laughs> talking about indie rock like that is our that is our out clause for like this just gives us so much freedom to like do to do whatever the heck we want on this. Well, I, so. I think that we're already a self-parody anyway. So, I mean, that, that <laughs> might already be true. But um, I don't know. I, again, I, I we haven't heard the whole record. Sometimes songs in the context of an album hit differently. Uh, so, mm. and I and look, I love Melodrama. I thought that was a great record. I think, I, and mm. I respect Lord. I think she's put out some really good music. Um but uh, the the music, the lyrics, the iconography of the singles from this record um, have just really hit me the wrong way. And again, it it's interesting that it's now being spun into like a white lotus type situation, like where oh, I'm satirizing privileged people in a mm. tropical environment and and the privilege and and the self absorption of those types of people. Um, I mean, has Lord herself said that? I think she has. I think with the most recent single, she has uh, outright said, hey, this is satire. Um, and I guess the question becomes like, well, it, it becomes this age-old question of if it centers the people it's satirizing, is it still satire? If the people it's satirize, satirizing enjoy it, is it still satire? And um, is she like Randy Newman now? I mean, she's like writing like maybe. satirical <laughs> songs about <laughs> like yeah, uh, bo- yeah, like Lord covering people. short people. Yeah, man, this is <laughs> you know like this is another thing that we're just gonna will into existence and like be sorry that uh, it ever happened. So, well, I'm surprised that like Phoebe Bridgers hasn't shown up yet in the Lord video because I feel like Phoebe Bridgers now is showing up officially in every context that. Uh, We've seen her in, I mean, like she's covering Metallica songs. She's on the Killers record. I think yeah. she wrote an essay for the upcoming reissue of the of the second Bunny Bear record. Unless uh, I, I believe so. She's available. I saw that tweeted. That might have been a joke. So don't oh. quote me on that. But who knows? I mean, again, Phoebe's popping yeah. up everywhere. That, I mean, the, On that Dave Grohl career path. Yeah, exactly. Um, do we want to talk about... This story, this which I still don't really understand. This, this came. <laughs> yeah, out. if we don't understand it, we absolutely have to talk. Well, maybe about you this can story. explain it to me. There was this thing over the weekend uh, where Carseed Headrest and Bob Saget were in a feud, apparently. 
Like, did you? Yeah. Did you see, like what was going on with that? I because I, I guess Bob Saget <laughs> was blocking all of these car seat headrest fans, and you know, n- not a bad idea. But like, what do you know? What was going on there? Um. Okay. So like the 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 one thing that I just love about this story, even before like looking into it, is there are just certain beefs or internet like very very internety stories that. I see, and it's, I just feel so completely disengaged from culture. But I know who Bob Saget is, and I know who Car Seat Headrest is. Yes. Um, and so apparently, like back, like back in 2010, um, he Car Seat Headrest wrote a song called "The Ghost of Bob Saget." Uh, it was, um, you know, it, and it's a reference to this uh, web comic that has Bob Saget as a character. Um, and uh, he rhymes Bob Saget with, you know, a pretty predictable slur. And um, but then again, it's like, you know, it, 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 so this song was t- being talked about on Twitter. And my guess is that Bob Saget um, vanity searches his own name. And then, you know, he's like, well, what the heck? And, you know, failing to see it as satire or fantasy and so forth. And. Um, yeah, so he went ahead and apologized to everyone he's blocked over the years and, uh, car seat headrest. So, okay. um, I see. yeah, so he, he, apparently Bob Saget, Bob Saget was the subject of a webcomic made by car seat headrest's friend. And he made a song about it back when no one knew who he was. And here we are. Uh, so that's, that's less exciting than I was hoping for. Right? And this is why. We always have to talk about stories before we understand that. Well, that's okay. It makes for a better review. It makes for a better listening. I think it's a good explainer for people out there because I think we all heard about some sort of Bob Saget car seat headrest controversy, but none of us felt motivated enough to actually investigate what it was all about. So I'm glad that you were able to explain it Um, because Will Toledo has been involved in lots of feuds over the years. So I thought maybe it was like a new feud, but it's it's like an old feud. (laughs) Yeah, the Ricky the the Ricky Eat Acid feud from I believe 2016. That was I, I think that is a classic pre-Trump Twitter beat. Yeah, like that along with like this the fake yacht sex tape, like the car seat headrest, <laughs> Ricky Eat Acid uh Twitter beef are like my defining uh like this is what you were able to be pissed off about pre-Trump. Like this is back when not a care in the world. Just a couple of indie rock uh, stars uh, tweeting about how each other, they thought each other's music was Maybe whack. we can bring them both on the show and have a summit oh, and we God. can revisit this feud for our listeners. Yeah, yes. I, I, I think this is the exact move that IndieCast needs to do to expand our listening base. I mean, I feel like those guys have called out both of us in some combination of, of uh, uh, tweets <laughs> yeah. at, at times. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I we're, we're just gonna do. We should do an episode where we just bring every artist that's like beefed with us over the years, and like, or maybe if like we do a final indie cast, that's gonna be our thing. Yeah, it'll be like the last Seinfeld episode when they're in prison, and yeah. then all the all the people that they've wronged have like yeah, come, Patrick Stickles comes up, exactly and, the Soup Nazi, and like all the all the old favorites uh, come yeah. in. Uh, so. I'm excited for this week's episode, but next week we're going to have a lot to talk about because we're going to talk about Lord. Um, yes. There's a big Red Machine record. I don't know if I can get you to talk about that. I'm oh, curious. yeah. We'll talk about a big Red Machine record. We'll talk record. about that. What, one thing I wanted to check with you, because I'm a big Sturgill Simpson fan. He has a record you coming are? out. on. on <laughs> it's, Fuck, I am. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the That's why all the college football writers follow me on Twitter because I, I like <laughs> – Bruce, I like Sturgill, I like Jason Isbell. Yes. Um, but Sturgill has a new record coming out today as of this podcast being posted. Are we going to talk about that record, or is that so far outside your uh, spectrum of interest that we that I'll just have to maybe slip that into a recommendation corner? You know what? The timing is right. Like, it, it, college football season is just around the corner. Uh, you know, Clemson, Georgia is going to happen. And like, there's always, then there's the question of like, well, is Kanye going to abandon Mercedes Benz stadium before that football game happens? So, I mean, the timing, the timing is right for me to delve into Sturgill territory, you know? Yeah. Cause you, I mean, you have no, um, (laughs) interest in him really though, right? Uh, I, I, I don't 
I mean, like, I, I, I appreciate what he's doing, and I also think it's a not-for-me sort of thing. So, you know what? Like, as a participant in the indie, in the greater IndieCast universe, I mean, as sad as that is to say, um, you know, I do, like, there is an uni- IndieCast universe that extends beyond us. Yeah, I got to listen to it. I got to participate in the culture, Steve. Well, because there's a debate. It's not really a debate, but occasionally we get emails from okay. people who are like, "Well, how are you, how are you defining indie? You know, what is indie music? It's, it's what the that killers mean? and bre- and bleachers. That's what indie is. Come on. <laughs> well, indie is on this show. It's like whatever you and I are interested. That's right. In. I think that's how that's how we're defining indie uh, on this Cultural show. Cultural pace and, setters. That's not. We don't hash out trends. We uh, set the pace. Well, you know, again, you can do. And you are all. Def- we live in a postmodern world. You can define out there and the audience you can define indie however you want we're going to define indie as whatever ian and i are interested in and sergio simpson isn't really an indie rocker although he did he gets covered by indie music sites in a way that like a lot of other country americana artists Mm. aren't covered so he's an interesting person to uh uh kind of bring into our world here i mean i i remember that like when pitchfork wouldn't review taylor swift records because because they never talked about country and now that has obviously been, um, yeah, they did cut. Co- they that's been they, loosened they covered up a Ryan bit. Adams' cover of uh, Sturgill Simpson's of uh, the one about the aliens, right? <laughs> yeah, they well, the, the, they covered postmodern. I, I wish this would have been a better joke if I knew the actual fucking title of that Sturgill Simpson album, like meta. Oh uh, yeah, well, yes. meta modern ah. sounds and country music. Yeah, um, I I got it. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was a good call, by the way. That 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 that, that call aged well. To refu- although they slammed the Ryan Adams yeah. cover that, that dipped below the Peppa Pig perimeter. Yeah, well, way below the Peppa Pig perimeter. Um, so let's get to our mailbag segment. And uh, by the way, if you want to email us, we're at indiecastmailbag at gmail yes. Also, we started a, a, a Twitter account this week. We're at indiecast one. Uh, and I'm doing all the tweeting so you know, far. You haven't like, tweeted yet. You, uh, you got to get on that account. Uh, you're trying to draw tweets. me into the darkness, man. Like I got one Twitter account that I've had to really ease off on, you know, to just uh, to, to bring more to to allow more light into my life. But yeah, if if you know if and when I get on that Twitter account and start doing my thing, you'll know it. <laughs> well, like. For me, like the tweets I'm doing on the IndieCast account, they're for like the real heads. You know, the the tweets that I uh, that I think on my main account, yeah. I'm like, well, is anyone going to care or get this? I'm going to do on the IndieCast account because I know the IndieCast listener who actually also follows us yeah. on Twitter. Hi Miranda. Hi heads. Alex. Hi. They're going to know it. Hi. They're, they're going to get it. We 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 can start naming the twelve of those yes, people. Yes. So know. give them a shout out. Hey man. Way more than that, we we have enough followers right now to almost sell out like a large mm. hall. So you know, like like a thousand seat hall. Like we we're almost there, and my goal is to get that account yes. to where we can play arenas. Uh, so we got we got to get to about fifteen thousand. So we got a ways to go, but you yeah. know what? We're gonna we're gonna play the clubs. We're gonna do the theaters. Yes. And eventually, we're gonna be playing arenas. Uh, it's it's my pledge to all of you. Uh, today and speaking of a band that went from clubs to arenas uh we're actually doing two questions today the first one is about a band called arctic monkeys yes lexington kentucky fucking shout out to lexington man and jake writes with the news of arctic monkeys working on their seventh album which i googled after i read this letter because i didn't hear that there was news of a new arctic monkeys record but there is uh, they're working. They're in the studio right now, apparently. Uh, how does their catalog compare to other modern rock bands? Do they pass the five album test? Uh, and I, I picked this question <laughs> intentionally because I knew that we were going to argue about it. This is this is a band that you and I feel very differently about. Why don't you go first? What's your take on Arctic Monkeys and and, and their well, catalog? I mean, as far as whether or not they pass the five album test, I mean, they definitely have five albums. That's that that. They have six yes, albums. They, they they have enough albums to be a part of this test. But like here here's the thing about like I don't I, like it, it's sort of strange to have a band this popular that plays rock music that I don't really feel a certain type of way about either way. Like at this point to me, 
they were more of like one of those and I one of those TV shows that you know you kind of miss the first season because you're busy doing whatever with your life and all of a sudden years later it's the thing that like people always like recap and it's you know it's popular it's critically acclaimed but it's on like season 6 and it's just it's so hard to catch up and to to, you know, to, to invest. They're like, are they like Homeland or like The Walking Dead? Yeah, something like that. You know, now granted, we spent like an entire month making a bit about how I watched um, all of Bill, like like five seasons of Billions in the span of like two weeks. That being said, I liked I, I liked uh, I bet that you look good on the dance floor back in two thousand six. Um, and then uh, you know the second album came out. I'm like, okay, this is just whatever. Like, and the, I didn't. Like their albums would come out, I'd like a song or two, not really care too much. And then AM came out. Now, when I think we look back on the 2010s, like this is a definitive album that I will not deny. However, it is, uh, it represents like maybe the zenith of one of my least favorite invented subgenres of music, which is like GQ core, where it's like <laughs> one thing that uh, you need to know about my movie slash music taste is that. I the movie I've seen I finished that I hated more than any other in the past decade is Baby Driver. Like I will like I cannot find the words to express how much I hated that movie. Um, and the Arctic Monkeys seem like the kind of like the maybe one of the two or three bands that Baby Driver actually likes from modern times. It's stuff like Latter Day oh. Queens of the Stone Age, like Leon Bridges, all this stuff that's like kind of. Uh, one degree of separation from Mark Ronson where they look cool, they are cool, they're clever, and, you know, they just got so much going for them, and I cannot fucking relate to that at all. So, look, it's entirely a personal thing. It's well-crafted, and yet, like, if I... To me, it's like everything that Arctic Monkeys could provide, uh, I get from Los Campesinos, um, and they do so in a much more, like, convincingly nerdy way. Like, I just... I, I I just cannot cotton to the idea of this band being like just so super cool. Like it's I, I need to find a way in. So before I uh, answer Jake's question, I have to address some of Ian's <laughs> points here. Uh, I just think it's interesting that like you ripped this band for yes. being too cool. When do I want to know? Which was the big song from AM is one of the few genuinely like mass appeal rock songs it of the is. last decade. Like if you go on Spotify, that song's been streamed 1.1 billion times. Uh, that song was in a Bacardi commercial. You know, like that that's how like mainstream that song is. So to me that doesn't really jibe with this idea that they're like this too cool for school band because they're everywhere. They're a band that has more normie appeal, and I hate the word normie, but, but like regular person appeal, than like a band like Los Campesinos, which to me are like the epitome of like a cult critics yeah. band. And that's not a knock on them. Better not be. You know, <laughs> they're, they're very good at what they do. But I'm just saying that like Arctic Monkeys, they're an arena band. Like they're closer to Coldplay than they are to, you know, hip underground acts that music critics fall all over. Um, and I'll say too that like, their latest record that uh, it's not even that latest. It's uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, which that I think was, was 2018. That, that, that is eons ago, man. <laughs> that was a long time ago. You know that record. It's not like that was a critics darling type record. Like Rolling Stone gave that two stars. I read the Stereo Gum review this morning. They ripped it. Pitchfork gave it a good review, but like that was the epitome of like a polarizing record. Some critics loved it, some hated it. To me, that says that that was a genuine departure because a lot of people didn't get it, and it's because that is like a lyrics first record, and a dramatic departure, I think, from from their previous records. I'm actually curious to see what album seven is going to sound like. I imagine that it'll be closer to AM than Tranquility Bass, but you know, who knows? Maybe they'll make like a drum and bass. That I'd be interested in. Um so yeah, I, I have much warmer feelings uh toward this band than you do. Because again, and you said this that you're surprised that you don't like them because I think like me, you have a soft spot for like big tent rock bands that manage to find an audience. 
uh, while having a distinct personality because there's just not a lot of bands like that. Um, and I, I feel like Arctic Monkeys are that kind of band. They're a band that like has had a huge audience. They've appealed to just regular people, like not just music critics, not just like hip tastemakers, but like the guy in your office who only listens to rock radio. Like it's likely that he yeah. likes Arctic Monkeys too. So I think that speaks to them maybe having more of like a mass appeal than than you're giving them credit for. As for the five albums <laughs> test question, that's something I need to think about a little bit more because I would say that the debut album is a classic. I think AM mm-hmm. is a great record, along with being an important record as as you give it credit for. I really love Tranquility Bass. Um I I'm I do like Suck It and See, which is the record before AM. The two albums I'm like a little unsure about are uh, Humbug and uh, Favorite Worst Nightmare, the second and third records, um, which I think are like like good records. I don't know if they're great. Uh, so that would be my only thing there. I need to think about that a little bit more. So I'm going to do a push on that, but they're definitely in the running. If they're not there, they're very close. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that they're a genuinely really good band and uh i'm excited to hear what they had to do next and i like the haircuts is that your issue is that their haircuts are like too slick looking like they look too much like alex 50s just recently. hasn't had an uncool day in his life and you know it's it, it's just i don't know maybe the maybe the next album will come out and it does sound like drum and bass or like some like kind of cornball 90s like uh electronic subgenre that i'm super into and but yeah, even when they made their divisive album, it, it was still like, oh, it sounds like, you know, Leonard Cohen or, uh, you know, Pulp or David Bowie, which, you know, yeah, might it, 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 that might like dissuade the Coachella Corps people, but it's still kind of a safety net. And also, I just need to mention that this. How is it a safety net? Like when it doesn't have any radio hits and critics are divided on it and like, I don't see how that even if you're going to make a case for that being. Well, this is like they're they're catering to the, like mm. the hip tastemakers or or for the critics. It obviously wasn't that record because like a lot of those people didn't. Here, like I'm gonna it, read. I'm gonna read know? number one album of the Observer, number one album Q Magazine, number two the Independent, number two NME. Well, well, yeah, you're doing all the British magazines. Number two, like mo- yeah, I guess you're right. I think I, I think that's number five different, Entertainment like, again, Weekly, number. three. Two stars, Rolling yeah. Stone, Stereo Gum said that it's a bunch of non sequiturs yeah. that don't make any <laughs> sense. You know, like, I mean, again, like, I think it was not, I mean, because we know, like, we've talked about records that it seems like every critic likes, okay? This isn't like, like the Waxahachie record. This isn't like the Fiona Apple record. You know what I mean? Like, there were a lot of people who didn't like it. Uh, and for a big time act to get polarizing reviews, especially in this day and age where it seems like there are records that are too big to fail. I think that speaks to how that record I think was genuinely, uh, bold in a lot of ways. And again, I think even to this day, there's a lot of people who don't like that record. Uh, I'm a fan of that record, but I don't know. Mm. We'll see. I don't know, but and, and you don't like that record either, yeah. right? I listen to it, and I'm like, yeah, dog, not for me. Well, at any rate, let's move on to shout our next out to question J- here. Shout out two- to Jake, though, in Lexington, Kentucky. Love that. Love that town. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for bringing up Arctic Monkeys. We're going we're gonna to revisit them again at yes. some point. Maybe like when the seventh album comes out, we can argue about Arctic Monkeys some more. I'm looking forward to that. Uh can you guys do, oh, sorry, this question is from Ryan in South Orange, New Jersey. Hell yeah, very IndieCast type of town. And he asks, can you guys do a 2005 episode? Maybe it's just an artifact of being a 40-something, but that year is sort of dizzying <laughs> to look back on. And he mentions, clap your hands, say, yeah, apologies to the Queen Mary by Wolf Parade, Separation Sunday by The Hold Steady, Alligator, Black Sheep Boy, Illinois, Silent Alarm by Black Yo, Party. Yo, this, this guy had emojis for it, too. Yeah, we should uh, post a screenshot of this on our Twitter page. It's incredible. Actually, you should do that, Ian. That should be your first tweet yes. on our, on our uh, uh, Twitter account. Uh, so much to discuss here. The albums listed above and probably others I missed. Uh, anyway, it would be a, quite a year and deserving for an entire episode. Uh, and that, again, that's from Ryan in South Jersey, uh, or South Orange, uh, New Jersey. Um, did we do a 2005 episode? 
not on here, but real heads will remember, I believe Celebration Rock had a 2005 episode. That's right. I forgot about Because, like, when I, we got this letter, it seemed like, have we talked about this? It's like, I don't think we did on IndieCast. Mm-mm. But we did do one on Celebration Rock. That's right. Back, one for the real heads. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you got to go into the deep cuts for that. But, yeah, I mean, you and I both hold this year in high esteem. <sighs> Maybe it's that we're 40-something, but... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, go, go go figure that, like, the year that I turned 25 is the one that I have the fondest memories of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and it's not just the indie rock from that year. It's also, like, Houston rap was kind of reaching its popular zenith. Uh, you know, I lived in Atlanta at that time, and, you know, it was Young Jeezy and T.I., and electronic music was doing really interesting things. That was also the year of Run the Road, and 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 look, I I imagine if there is like a indie cast similar to ours that will happen in fifteen years, maybe they'll look back at like you know two thousand sixteen as that year. But um, I don't know. I think two thousand five. I think a big reason why I hold it in such high regard is that it's kind of the peak of like blogging culture. And as the words blogging culture came out of my mouth, I just feel like just this tension and disgust of actually saying it. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that it, it was a time where, like, music was readily available, but not too readily available. Like, you had to kind of work to get downloads or, you know, you ha- I still had to order um, the Clap Your Hands Say Yeah album off, I think it was eMusic or something like that. Yeah, and it was wait hard. For it in the mail. And, yeah, so something like that. So I think it was just the way it was discussed. Um, I think it just the sound of it where it's kind of post funeral in that the, you know, it was bands that were a bit unhinged and kind of orchestral, um, a little bit literate. Um, it's funny because those albums, Alligator, Black Sheep Boy, uh, Separation Sunday, Apologies of the Queen Mary, the, a big reason I got into a lot of the early aughts emo bands like you know the world is or the hotel years that were it reminded me more of 2005 indie rock than it did late 90s emo so and i think that's kind of it kind of explains why a lot of people who are like my age were into those bands rather than like the 24 the 25 year olds because i've talked about this a lot it's like 20 23 to 20 like there's a period of time between 20 and 30 where you just pivot super hard in indie rock if you ever liked emo and you know this just happened to be mine so yeah you know you said something a, a bit ago about like if like a younger person if they were gonna do like their year that they were 25 what would they do and you know in terms of like recent years in indie history you know we've we've talked a lot about 2013 for instance being a pivotal year i wonder like I, you know, maybe we should do this talking about the year 2017 because oh, yeah. uh, like the first year like post-Trump uh, and it, it just like how that really shook up the audience, I feel like. Yeah. And, and how, and, and certainly the music press and how they wrote about certain kinds of things. I mean, we joked about this last week about like when the Japan Joids record came out in January of 2017 <laughs> and it got ripped because it wasn't reflecting the trauma of America uh, upon the inauguration of, of this new president. You know, and it seemed like yeah. that was the filter through which so many things were um, discussed that year. Also a friend of the pod, Larry. Uh, F- yes. You got to mention that. Yeah. Larry Fitzmaurice. Is it Fitzmaurice or Fitzmorris? I just call him Larry. Okay. <laughs> but should I say Fitzmaurice? I've never had to say that. name. Larry Fitzmaurice. Fitzmorris. I don't fucking know. Like, let's ask. Let's get him on the pod, too. Yeah. That's going to be another guy. I don't know. I, I was going to say maybe we should edit this part up, but maybe we'll just leave it in. Like, we're, you and I debate how to pronounce his last name. This will be funny to him like when he <laughs> listens to the podcast uh, that we don't know. Anyway, Larry wrote a, a thing on his Substack, which you should go check out. Last yeah. Donut of the Night is the name of his, uh, mm-hmm. his newsletter. He wrote about 2017. And all the albums that came out that year, and he was talking about it being the beginning of what he called the new emotionalism, where people mm. were talking about trauma and their feelings and using a lot of sort of therapy speak in music. Yeah. And uh, it seems like that really is like a pivotal year. And I'd be curious to hear from someone who was 
you know, just out of college and how they heard all that music that came out yeah. at that time. It, that'd be interesting to contemplate. So, but maybe we'll do that. We weren't just out <laughs> of college. Uh, I, I turned 40 in 2017. So, uh, I moved from Lexington, Kentucky to San Diego. That was a very pivotal year for me as well, but, uh, certainly not the kind of uh, pivotal year that it was when I was 25. I had become a cold old man by that time. Well, that could be a good episode. Or the, the year <laughs> that we became washed in uh, yes. 2017. That uh, was the year. Not not any of the years before, but that one, 2017. No. That's when I became washed. Absolutely. Um, well, let's get to the meat of our episode. We're going to be talking yes. about a record called Infinite Granite by a band called Deaf Heaven. This is mm. an American post-metal band. They formed in, two, in uh, 2010. They were originally a duo of uh, singer George Clark and guitarist Carrie McCoy. Over time, they've added additional members. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a good chance that if you know this band, that the record that really broke through for you was their 2013 record, Sunbather. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the rare metal album that like really had crossover appeal. Uh, it's certainly with the indie press, but also with a lot of listeners who maybe don't listen to like underground metal records. Um, there was also, of course, the inevitable backlash with this record. I remember, like, I love Sunbather. Um, yes. It was my number one record of 2013. I believe it was for you as well. It indeed uh, was. I had a, I had a, a Sunbather t-shirt that I was heckled <laughs> for wearing by a metalhead. Once uh, he's um, like he thought that was a he, he thought I was a poser and that they were a poser band and of course he was absolutely right I am a huge poser I'm a proud yeah. poser in my life um, the albums that Def Heaven have put have put out since Sunbather in my estimation have been somewhat diminishing returns uh, I'm curious to hear what you have to say here in a minute um, and it's interesting because with their new record Infinite Granite this is the first album that I feel like that I'm the most excited about probably since Sunbather, which is going to be true sacrilege for uh, true blue metal heads out there because uh, this is the least metal record that they've ever made. In fact, I would say it's not a metal record at all. It's a nope. shoegaze record through and through. It's produced by the same guy who made M83 records. I mean, that's how oh, far yeah. a field this is from metal. And uh, I think it's a gorgeous record. I'm, I'm mm. curious to hear your thoughts on it. You just wrote a piece for The Ringer on this band. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this band and their arc and, and where they've ended up with this new album? So yeah, Def Heaven, you know, it's been a real journey with me in this band. Um, it was indeed my album of the year in 2013, which was, you know, I joked like that was the year the emo revival broke, but you know, Def the sunbather itself is about George uh, Clark, the lead singer driving through San Francisco and seeing this, you know, rich woman sunbathing on her lawn and wishing he, you know, had money and and so forth. So in itself, it's extremely emo. But, you know, at, when you say like diminishing returns on the two other records, New Bermuda and Ordinary Corrupt Human Love, I thought they were awesome when I first heard them. And yet, like when I wanted to listen to Death Heaven music, I always found myself returning to Sunbather. And so I think what 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 where they stood as of like let's say 2020 was a band I was like worried I'd start taking them for granted you know I think like the way you talk about say Beach House where they have this thing and they do it and they're great at it and they're better than all the bands that are ripping them off and yet it's so hard to be as excited about them as you were back when you first heard Sunbather and so this is why I find Infinite Granite to be the easily it's going to be the album I listen to the most except for Sunbather because it just goes in such a far different direction. Um, and the producer, like it takes a lot for me to actually get excited about an album these days when I get the advance. And when they said Deaf Heaven, it's produced by Justin Meldell Johnson, who did indeed produce MA3 and also uh, the most recent Paramore records and Jimmy World's Integrity Blues. Um, and it's all clean vocals. And all like there's no blast beats i just get excited because anytime you throw a record out into the discourse where people might actually really hate it that's very rare and so i just respect the hell out of them for like fully committing to the bit here um when people first heard a great mass of color the lead single it's like oh this guy sounds his singing voice is like afi's davy havoc now and i'm like you're saying that's like a bad thing people are like throwing out like turnover 
or AFI or like Slow Dive. It's like, no, these are great bands. I'm like into this. So yeah, it, it's interesting because I feel like the responses I heard actually lean more positive because I heard a lot from people that remember Sunbather and enjoying it but being turned off by the vocals. Like they loved mm-hmm. the, the the beautiful, you know, almost like symphonic guitar overdubs and just how expansive it was. But then George Clark would start screaming and they'd get turned off. And yeah. uh, for those people, you're definitely going to love this record because mm-hmm. it's all the beautiful parts of Sunbather with none of the screaming. Now, I will say that like one of the things I liked about Sunbather was that contrast of the yes. beauty and the ugliness. And I will say that if there's a criticism I have of Infinite Granite is that when it's all beautiful, at times it can feel a little monochromatic. You don't have the dynamics that you have on the other Death Heaven records, the, yeah. the, the contrast between light and dark and ugliness and beauty. It's all beauty this time. Uh, so in a way, it's like a little less interesting, I think. But mm-hmm. they're so good at creating, again, these guitar soundscapes uh, in a way that I, there's not a lot of bands, I think, that are making music just like this widescreen and this just expansive... Uh, so it's really hard for me not to get sucked in when a band is doing that. When I, I remember when you meant, when we talked about Sunbather in the past, and I think you wrote about this, it's how it's so hard to lit, like as great as Sunbather is, it's so hard to like divvy out time to listen. Like you have, like, it's not like a sort of thing you can just like kind of put on passively. Like you have to like block out time of an hour and say like i'm doing sunbather right, right. now. like this is what i'm doing and so like you're going on a walk that, and you're, it's going to be a, a, a cathartic walk yeah <laughs> like sunbather. It, it is like it is active listening and you just cannot throw on deaf heaven whenever but this is an album you can just kind of listen to like where you know i'm doing notes at work or i'm driving it's like i feel like listening to something it's got some heft but like something that like won't uh, anger the other people in the car with me. I can put on Death Heaven now. I mean, is there something about Sunbather that I don't want to say it failed, but like I remember when that record came out, there was this feeling that oh, there's going to be these other bands now that follow in their footsteps and that that are going to have the same sort of crossover appeal, and that didn't really happen. Well, yeah, it, not it, at a there are plenty of bands that ripped off Sunbather to the point where... I know, but in terms of having the same sort of oh. crossover appeal, I mean, like, like I'm not talking about bands that sound like them. I just mean that other bands that... Uh, I mean, I don't want to overstate how big that record was, but like in an indie world sense, it did achieve sort of a zeitgeist type moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was something that people talked about, I think, much more than they would other post-metal records or black metal records. Uh, yeah. It, it, but it seems like that it didn't open the door for other bands to have a similar kind of reach. Yeah. One of our, one of our indie faithful IndieCast listeners, Alex uh, from a great, great IndieCast approved band, Infant Island, wrote a Substack Steady Diet and Nothing about how uh, in the post-Sunbather world, like there's been no room for any metal album to dominate the conversation the way sunbather has like they did a survey of album of the year's top 500 albums from the past uh decade and found out that death heaven was the only non-legacy heavy act represented there and i when i look back on sunbather now i just think about the impossibility of a metal record being elevated to that degree like like nothing's even come close. Like, yeah, you had the blood incantation album, which was a big thing amongst like the real metal heads, but nothing that gets discussed on the level of, I don't know, like a, whatever, whatever the, like, like a Mitski album or like, or something like say like a beach house album. I mean, like it, is it is it going too far to say that making an album like Infinite Granite is a is, is in some sense a surrender to that and saying like people aren't going to pay attention to us if we have these metal influences so let's just go straight up pretty you know yeah like, I, I mean is that going too far is there some truth to that there's some truth to that because you know in my interview with the band they talked about how they felt. Um, in 2019, they were on tour with Baroness, who's 
you know, a band that's really evolved and tweaked their sound in interesting ways over the years. They felt like, you know what, we've gone pretty much as far as we can doing this thing, which is, you know, like you were saying, I think uh, an opinion that was somewhat shared by people. And so I I, I think in some ways, like the the Deaf Heaven discourse has just been so... Um, so active over the past eight years that maybe it wouldn't like if this album had come out, say in 2018, perhaps it would have undergone like far more divisive scrutiny. But at this point, people are just like, you know what? Deaf heavens who they are. And, you know, this is the time to do something that really shakes things up. I mean, I wonder with, with like with the modern metal scene, (laughs) if like to what degree the insularity of that scene holds bands back because oh well yeah uh, this is absolutely what the uh sub stack i talked about okay uh mentions because it 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 does seem like i don't know if it's more intense in metal than it is in punk or in the diy scene or, or any type of sort of niche underground scene but there's always these credibility arguments about mm. bands like not living up to some standard of purity and people turning on them if they sound like a little too mainstream or if like the wrong people start liking them. Um, and as an outsider, that type of talk, it's so exhausting and unappealing to me. I hate it when people start talking about purity tests for artists and bands mm-hmm. and holding them to a standard that they have to do this exact thing. And if they don't do that, if they bring in some other influence or they're reaching out beyond this niche and trying to have a broader appeal that that is some sort of betrayal. Um, I don't know. Like that's enough to make me a poptimist like that. type yeah. of stuff. Like that's yeah. when I start being like, well, maybe I'll be a poptimist now because that sort of stuff. It's just, it's so narrowing, I think with music mm-hmm. and, it, and it's uninteresting to me. Yeah. I mean, fuck, I can't tell you how many times I see like the latest, you know, DIY or emo or punk discourse and think to myself, man, life would be so much easier if I just liked, I don't know, free jazz or pop music. And I think it's also kind of bringing us full circle with one of the things that got Def having the most criticism early on, you know, in like compared to the Arctic Monkeys thing is that they thought that they were too good looking <laughs> that like George was like, oh, this guy looks like he could be a model or something like that. Like this band ain't real. Uh, and yeah, so I think that like, I think we kind of have to mention that I, more so than like the sound. I think that was the thing that got people more pissed off than anything. It's like if if they looked more like, I don't know like 1997 Pantera, we wouldn't be having these conversations. Well, it it does seem like Deaf Heaven has always been provocative by going against what metal bands are supposed to sound like, look like. I mean, Sunbather famously has a pink cover, which is the opposite of, you know, the pitch black cover with like skulls and, you know, dead people on it. Like whatever metal album cliche you want to do. yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the font was, it was like something you'd see like in a fashion magazine, you know, it, it, very striking. Yeah. Nick Steinhardt, uh, guitarist from Touche Amore, an incredible art director who has worked on Britney Spears and Pink and Tom Petty albums. You could actually buy that font for 30 bucks. Really? Yeah. It, it, they do, a besp- I did a lot about this. Uh, it's a bespoke typeface. Uh, they do Nick does one for every Deaf Heaven album, and that one in particular, the Sunbather one. I think it was in 2015. You could actually buy it for, um, yeah, you could actually buy it for 30 bucks. But it's funny because like the Pink album, like the album cover, the last time I think of a metal album that got that much run was 2006 when Boris right. uh, released an album <laughs> called Pink <laughs> with a pink cover. That's true. You know, we should do an, uh, an episode on pink album covers. We could talk about the second Sunny Day Real, Sunny Estate. Day Real Estate record, talk about uh, Sunbather and yeah. Boris. Um, I can't think of any others. Maybe those yeah, are I'm looking at my I'm looking at like my Twitter avatar, but that's just a screenshot from a 1975 song. Well, there you go. Yeah, you, <laughs> and we brought it all back to the 1975. How <laughs> it always does. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so uh, album out today is from a Portland band called Alien Boy, and the album is called Don't Know What I Am. 
So it, this band might be familiar on two levels. Uh, first is that um, they get name dropped in Joyce Manor's The Last You Heard of Me, uh, where they say Sonya's going to the parking lot. They're at a Portland bar called The Alibi. And they are one of the many uh, former Tiny Engines bands. Uh, they released an album in 2018 on Tiny Engines that's releasing great music in 2021. Uh, the name of the album, once again, is Don't Know Who I Am. And what they do is uh, it's sort of shoegazy, sort of dream pop, sort of 80s college rock, but quasi-emo just in terms of like the lyrical content and the vocals. To me, it sounds like what would happen if like, and I mean this in the most positive way, if like Galaxy 500 and Blink-182 uh, like kind of got together. It's like that sort of unfathomable nexus of those two bands. But... Um, yeah, it's the sort of album that if like you're into any of the things I mentioned, you're going to be super into it. And also it's the sort of album that could easily fall through the cracks, uh, because it's kind of channeling a lot of music that might've been popular in, you know, 2010 or 2012, but in a way it sounds timeless. The song's writing's great. Um, the sound of the album is just incredible. And I think what you're going to see is, especially if you're like in the IndieCast Twitterverse, uh, quite a few people uh, vouching for this one, so I'm one of them. The band I want to talk about this week is called Trace Mountains, and this is a project from a guy named Dave Benton. He used to be in a band called Level Up. Uh, under the Trace Mountains name, he's put out three records. Uh, the first one I connected with was called Lost in the Country, which came out in 2020. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of records that came out under the radar last year that were overlooked because there was a lot going on in 2020 obviously we weren't always focused on like the latest indie releases but uh, this is a record that has really grown on me since it came out like I, I didn't put it on my year-end list uh at the end of last year but if I were to remake it in 2021 I would put it on now uh, it's really nice songwriting for all my heartland rock lovers out there and uh the reason why I'm talking about Trace Mountains now is that they just announced a new record it's called House of Confusion it comes out October 22nd from Lamo Records um and they have released a new single this week it's called America and mm. uh it's really worth checking out it, it it has a destroyer vibe to me almost it sounds like a little bit like kaput era destroyer um mixed in with again some the usual heartland rock upstate New York type uh, influences. So definitely go to your nearest streaming platform or to Bandcamp and uh, check out that single. And also, if you haven't already, go back to Lost in the Country, uh, the record that came out last year. Really good record. Um, I'm in the process of exploring the other Trace Mountain records. There's there's two other ones before Lost in the Country, but it's a really good band, and, and I have a good feeling uh, about this new album, House of Confusion. I'm sure I'll be talking about it again once it comes out in October. Uh, I love the fact that the last album was called, like, for someone who is, like, the biggest war on drugs guy, lost in the, wait for it, country. And there definitely like is, like, a war on drugs uh, feel to some of these songs, like a rootsier sounding war on drugs, uh, I would describe uh, Trace Mountains as. So, yes, if you if you like the kind of stuff I like, I think you will dig this band if you haven't checked them out already. Uh we are now at the end of this episode, so thank you for listening uh, to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 